When I were out there chasing after that panther, I smelled something strange. Like something I haven't smelled in thousands of years, Max replied. Nigel's eyes widened. Do you mean like the dank tombs of ancient Egypt? No, Mousy. Even earlier than that. Welcome to the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, with your hosts, Max, Liz, and Nigel. This podcast is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And I'm your narrator, Denny Brownlee. By the way, as you listen to this episode from the audiobook The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, keep in mind you can download your very own copy of it by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you'll find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, epicorderoftheseven.com. On today's episode, we'll bring you Chapter 20 from the audiobook The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key. And in Jenny's corner, our author Jenny L. Cody will tell us about some of the great influences on young Patrick Henry's life, including the man who helped him find his voice. But first, a few voices we've come to know and love. Here's Max, Liz, and Nigel. Hello, lads and lasses. Oh, bonjour, mes amis. What's up? Uh, Nigel, did you just say, what's up? Aye, that don't sound like the moosey I know. <laughs> In- indeed, I-, I have no idea where that came from, but uh, I say, it was jolly good fun. <laughs> what's up? Wee, <laughs> oui, that was fun. Now, uh, bring back the real Nigel. Right, uh, my apologies. Uh, and uh, greetings, everyone. Well, now, if you heard the last episode, you know that we, Patrick Henry, were scared out of a tree by a big mean panther. And in the process, the poor chap managed to break his collarbone. Boy, I sure can relate. So you're telling us you broke your collarbone? Uh, no, I broke me collar. It was one of them cheap plastic jobbies, snapped like a doggy biscuit. Oh, you poor baby. Uh, Mon Henry's injury was to his collarbone, or clavicle, as it is known in the medical world. Indeed. An injury like that takes weeks to heal, Max. Uh, so, then, have you ever had an injury of that magnitude? Well, I, for a doggy, one of the worst things to do is break a tooth. Oh, je comprends. How does it happen? Well, see, I were at the park, and there was this big statue. Uh, who was this statue depicting? Eh, who knows? Uh, some lad wearing boxer shorts. Anyway, I go up to it, you know, uh, sniffing around for no particular reason... When I see a bone laying right by it there, and it looked like a real good bone, so I chomped down on it, and it were hard as a rock. Turns out that it were a finger that broke off of the statue. I say, so it really was hard as a rock. Aye, broke two of me teeth and over here on this side. Oh, were they your canines? <laughs> your canines. <laughs> it's a tooth joke. I get it. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, well done, old chap. <laughs> Aye, lad. All me teeth are canines, all right? <laughs> Funny stuff. Anyway, I had to get a root canal and implants. So I went to Mexico, and this wee chihuahua lad uh, couldn't speak a lick of English, but boy, could he do a root canal, huh? See? Uh, uh-huh. So uh, what about you, Nigel? Well, I don't often share this, but as a young chap, I was involved in MMA. You did mixed martial arts? Well, to be clear, it was mixed martial arts. But in one tournament, I was pitted against a gerbil that was twice my size. 
Everybody's twice your size, Mosey. I was just about to say. Well, nevertheless, I gave it all I had. I was a tad bit quicker than he, but, uh, well, one false move, and he had me in a tail lock until it snapped like a biscuit. A doggy biscuit? An English biscuit. Ah, oh, a cookie. Quite. Uh, the point is, I had to wear a cast on my tail for six weeks. Now, try scurrying about with your tail strapped to a couple of popsicle sticks. Uh, I'll, I'll pass on that. Uh, what about you, Liz? Oh, well, uh, no, we, uh, we must get on with our chapter of the day. We've kept everyone waiting long enough. Uh, we must find out how my Henry is feeling. Oh, so we must not have a good kitty story, then. Well, then, fine. We will have Monsieur Announcer read the next chapter of The Voice, and then I shall regale you with my harrowing trauma. Uh, Monsieur Announcer? It's, uh, Danny. Chapter 20. Honey to the Bones. Sarah winced as she tightened the linen sling around Patrick's neck to hold his arm in place. It hurt her to see her son in so much pain. He tearfully groaned, and she dabbed a soft cloth on his forehead to wipe away the sweat and grime caked on his face from his fall onto the hard dirt. There now, the bone is set. Close your eyes and try to rest. I was so foolish. Tears leaked out of Patrick's eyes onto the flat pillow. And now Max is missing, and who knows if the panther got him. Please, Mother, we have to make sure he's all right. If anything happens to him... He caught his breath with a wave of pain. "'Shh,' Sarah said softly, wiping away his tears. "'I'm sure Max is fine.' She looked back to the doorway where all Patrick's little sisters were huddled together. They were worried sick about their big brother." Sarah smiled at them and motioned for them to stay where they were so as not to disturb Patrick. "'Your sisters are here checking on you, Pat.' "'We love you, Pat!' they whisper-shouted. Patrick tried to lift up his head to answer them but felt a sharp jab of pain and stayed where he was. "'Thanks, little girls.' His voice was broken and exhausted." Liz made her way through the legs of the girls and jumped softly onto the bed, slowly walking over the blanket to inspect Patrick's arm. She frowned, seeing his condition and the pain written all over his face. Je suis désolé, mon Henri, she meowed softly. But I am relieved you suffered only a broken collarbone. Do not worry about anything. I will stay with you until you are healed. She curled up by him so he could feel her presence next to his leg. Sarah smiled at Liz. She told her son, You have a little nurse to stay with you while you rest. Patrick closed his eyes and placed his hand on Liz's soft fur to feel her purring next to him. Suddenly, Max barked outside and Patrick opened his eyes. A grateful lump rose in his throat and his lip trembled happily through tears. He's all right. Oh, he's all right. Ah, now you can rest easy, Sarah said soothingly, cupping Patrick's cheek in her hand. You are safe, Max is safe, and Liz is here. I'm going to let you sleep. She kissed his forehead and stood to leave. Call out if you need me. I'll have William and John sleep elsewhere tonight so you can have it quiet and still in here. Thank you, Mother, Patrick whispered back. And I'm sorry. Shh, no more talk. Rest, Sarah answered. 
She shooed the girls out from the doorway and closed the door behind her. Patrick inhaled deeply and softly petted Liz. Thank God you're here and that Max is safe. I will be here when you awaken, mon cher Henry, Liz answered softly. Soon, Patrick drifted off to sleep, and so did Liz. It was only twilight, but they both felt as if they had lived a thousand lifetimes in the course of one terrifying afternoon. Nigel and Max sat outside under the window by Patrick's room. I'm telling you, that weren't no ordinary cat. It were after the lad, Max told the mouse. It certainly seems that way, despite the unwise decision the boy made to climb the tree, Nigel agreed. Thank goodness Cato saw what was happening. I conferred with him about the incident, and he was most distressed about it. Well, at least Patrick safe no, Max stressed. He hesitated, furrowing his brow. When I were out there chasing after that panther, I smelled something strange. What kind of strange, old boy? Nigel queried, straightening his spectacles. Like something I haven't smelled in thousands of years, Max replied. Nigel's eyes widened. Do you mean like the dank tombs of ancient Egypt? Max looked Nigel in the eye. No, Mousie, even earlier than that. Good afternoon, John, Samuel Davies said as he pulled on the reins to stop the horse drawing his gig. He came to a complete stop, and John walked over to greet him. I've come to check on Patrick. I was so sorry to hear about his accident. Good day, Reverend, John answered. That's very kind of you. Davies climbed out of the gig and shook John's hand. How is he? He's in a lot of pain, John answered with a frown, staring at the ground, shaking his head. With him being such an active lad, I think the boredom might be an even worse malady for him in the coming weeks. There's only so much Latin and Livy a sick lad can take. Davies folded his hands in front of him and nodded. Yes, I can imagine. Such an injury requires rest and no movement, especially for the first couple of weeks. I hope I can give him some words of encouragement. We appreciate you coming to see him, Reverend, John replied. Pat has such respect for you, especially after all you went through with your recent losses. It takes a great amount of strength to lose a wife and baby in childbirth and keep on with your responsibilities in the midst of it all. Davies tightened his mouth and nodded humbly. The Lord is my strength. He stopped and lifted a hand to Sarah, who came out to greet him. Good day, Sarah. How is our patient? He's very impatient, Samuel, Sarah answered, wiping her hands on a towel. Pat will be so happy to see you. Davies looked at John and Sarah. Before we go in, I wanted to let you know that some men found that panther deep in the woods yesterday. It was dead. Oh, what a relief to hear that, Sarah said, placing her hand over her heart. So Sam's musket ball got it? John asked. From what they could tell, the ball only grazed the cat, Davies answered. The strange part was that it appeared as if the panther had been poisoned. John and Sarah looked at one another in surprise, and then to Davies, asking in unison, Poisoned? Evidently, Davies answered. 
Perhaps the beast got into some bad mushrooms or met up with a snake. Well, I'm just glad it's dead and will no longer be a danger to the children, Sarah answered. Let's go in and you can tell Patrick. The minister nodded and touched his hat, bowing slightly. John? John nodded and touched his hat in respect. Reverend? Davies put his hand on John's arm. Call me Samuel, please. John smiled. Aye, very well, Samuel. The two men shared a grin, and then Davies followed Sarah inside. Pat, you have a visitor, Sarah announced as she led Davies into the room. Patrick used his good arm to position himself higher in the bed. Who is it? Davies appeared behind his mother, and Patrick smiled. Reverend Davies! Hello, Patrick. Davies responded with a smile as he walked over to the bed. How are you today? I'm bored, sir, Patrick answered honestly. I've been in this bed for a week, and I just want to be well. I'll leave you two to chat, Sarah told them with a smile as she left the room. Waiting on things is hard. But when you're waiting on the right thing, it's always worth it, Davies said, pulling up a chair. He spotted Liz. And who is this? That's Liz, Patrick answered happily. She hasn't left my side since I got hurt. Good friends do that. They stay by your side through the hard times as well as the good times, shared Davies, giving Liz a scratch under the chin. I am pleased to finally meet you in person, Monsieur Davies, Liz meowed. She's a very talkative cat, Patrick told Reverend Davies with a grin. My dog Max is outside. Patrick, I wanted to let you know they found the panther dead in the woods, Davies reported. So you won't have to worry about that threat anymore. Patrick's eyes widened with relief. That's great news, Reverend. Sam has always been one of the best shots around. Well, this time Sam only grazed the big cat. The men who found the panther related that it looked as if it was poisoned, Davies explained. Poisoned? Liz thought. For some reason her thoughts ran back immediately to ancient Rome. Al had witnessed the poisoning of Emperor Claudius. Poisoned? How could a panther be poisoned out in the middle of the woods? Patrick wanted to know. Davies shrugged his shoulders. I'm not sure, but let's talk about you. Your mother said you met that panther while climbing a tree. Patrick lowered his gaze and a look of shame came over his face. Davies tilted his head. Do you want to talk about what happened? I was foolish, Patrick replied softly. He shook his head and then raised his gaze to look into the face of his pastor. Can I tell you something? I told my parents the truth that I was climbing a tree when I saw the panther, but I didn't tell them why. Davies nodded. You can tell me anything, Patrick. I was climbing the tree because I was showing off, Patrick admitted. I've bragged about how I trained an eagle to fly. I may have helped the little eagle, but I didn't really train him. He learned to fly on his own. And I wanted to get an eagle feather since Indian warriors earned them for doing brave things. I guess I wanted everyone to think I was smart and brave, too. So I said I could climb that tree to reach the eagle's nest and get a feather. If I hadn't been so hasty and proud, none of this would have happened. 
Davies leaned over and rested his elbows on his knees. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall, the sixteenth proverb tells us. In your case, it was a literal fall out of a tree. Thank you for sharing the truth, Patrick. He leaned back in his chair. Pride is the deadliest thing you could ever play with. Learn this lesson now, and it will save you more aches and pains throughout the rest of your life. Why deadly? Patrick asked. Pride is why God cast Lucifer out of heaven. He was the most beautiful, most promising, most powerful, and most gifted angel that God had created. But he wanted to be all-powerful and have all the praise. He wanted to be God, Davies explained. Most of the heartache in this world can usually be traced back to pride, for it causes men to do the most selfish of things. Anytime men want to be a god of their world, pride is always at the root of it. Lucifer uses the very thing that caused him to be cast out of heaven as his favorite weapon to cause men to stumble as well. Patrick lifted his hand to touch his collarbone and thought a moment. That makes sense. Throughout history, it has always been the same. The heroes God used to do great things first had to be emptied of their pride, Davies explained. You see, Patrick, before God's heroes can be of any use to him, they must no longer be of any use to themselves. Patrick nodded and was quiet for a moment. I asked Sam and the others not to share what I was really doing in that tree. I've learned my lesson about bragging, confessed Patrick. I never want to make it about me any more. You want to earn that eagle feather, not take it, Davies added with a smile. Trophies are hollow if they aren't won honestly. Thank you, Reverend Davies, Patrick said with a smile. Your words are helpful. The heart of the wise instructs his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Those verses are also in the 16th proverb, Davy said. It means that intelligent people think before they speak. What they say is then more persuasive. And kind words are like honey, sweet to the taste and good for your health. "'healing to broken bones such as yours.' "'He smiled and pointed to Patrick's shoulder. "'Always remember the opposite of this is true. "'Fools don't think before they speak, "'and mean words are hurtful to the bones.' "'I think I need to learn that proverb by heart,' "'Patrick said with a smile. "'I am enjoying this sweet talk very much, no?' "'Liz meowed, thrilled to hear all these wise words "'pouring into her Henry.' <laughs> "'Told you she likes to talk,' Patrick said with a chuckle. Then he wrinkled his brow, thinking about the harsh words he had heard about dissenters in his own household. "'Reverend Davies, can I ask you about something else that has bothered me for a long time?' "'Absolutely, Patrick,' Davies replied, petting Liz. "'How do you handle it when men say mean words about you and your dissenter preaching?' Patrick asked. <laughs> I take comfort from the fact that I am hemmed in and surrounded by a power far greater than men. Davies answered with a smile. It matters not what men say about me, but it matters tremendously what I say or don't say about them or to them. 
Remember the Presbyterian tenet of our faith. God alone is the Lord of the conscience, and hath let it free from the doctrines and commandments of men, and that the rights of private judgment in all matters that respect religion are universal and inalienable. What does inalienable mean? inquired Patrick. Inalienable means something that can't be taken away, Davies explained. Patrick thought a moment. Which is right? What the government says or what God says? My first allegiance is to God, then to government, Davies said. But God created the authority of government. Isaiah wrote that the government shall be upon his shoulder. He commands us to obey such authority as long as it does not conflict with his primary law of commandments. So I've had to balance the two in how I conduct myself in coming to Virginia. What about when members of your own family disagree? Patrick wanted to know. Father and Uncle Patrick say I should be Anglican, but Mother says I should be Presbyterian. You need to find your own voice in this, Patrick, Davies encouraged him. What do you say you should be? I'm both, but I'm neither. I'm not a Presbyterian or an Anglican, Patrick answered. I'm a Christian, and that to me is the most important thing to be. I think that is a fine way of looking at it, Davies replied happily. You know, while the Great Awakening movement has caused conflict across the colonies, it has also unified hearts around one cause. Isn't it interesting that the first time the colonies have ever come together for anything has been for the Great Awakening? He leaned in and smiled. Jesus unified a continent. Patrick raised his eyebrows. And that's a fine way of looking at it, too. Davies smiled and petted Liz again while he looked around the room. He saw Patrick's fiddle sitting there. I hear you are quite the fiddle player. I would love to hear you play. Patrick sighed. I don't know when I'll be able to play it again, he pointed to his shoulder. What about the flute? Davies asked him. I've never thought about that. I'm a fiddle player, Patrick replied. Well, that doesn't mean you can't learn to play the flute, too, Davies suggested with a smile, getting up from his chair. Wait here a moment. I'm not going anywhere. Dr. Henry's orders, meaning my mother, Patrick replied. Davies chuckled and left the room. I see why you like him, mon ami, Liz meowed, and I see why Gilliman said you would learn so much from him. Davies quickly returned and held in his hands an ebony wooden flute with six finger holes. I just so happen to have a flute with me, and I wish to give it to you as a get-well gift. For me? Oh, Reverend, thank you, Patrick exclaimed happily as Davies put the instrument into his hand. It was given to me by a friend, but I have never played it. I am unable to do so with my condition, shared Davies. I need to save my lung power for my preaching. So I'd like you to have it if you'll promise to learn to play it. I will! Thank you so much! Patrick said excitedly, putting the flute to his lips and blowing into the hole, making a squeaking sound. He and Davies shared a chuckle. <laughs> it will take me time to learn... Davies held out his hands and looked around the room. And how fortunate for you that you have plenty of that, young Mr. Henry. That I do, 
Patrick replied with a broad grin. Well, I shall leave you with it, and I hope to see you able to return to worship soon, Davy said. And Patrick, I will keep your confidence in what you shared with me today. No one has to know how or why you broke your collarbone. You've benefited from a lesson learned, and that is all that matters. Thank you for everything, Reverend Davies, Patrick said, holding up the flute. And for the flute. You're welcome. You can play it at Polgreen when you're well, Davies replied with a smile. I will, Patrick replied. Goodbye, and thanks again. Davies leaned over and gave Liz a final scratch under the chin. Take good care of Patrick now, Liz. This is why I am here, no? Liz meowed in reply. Davies chuckled and left the room. Patrick proceeded to put the flute up to his mouth and moved his fingers along the six holes to learn the notes. He paused and smiled. He was so happy to have something new to do, and his spirits rose from his talk with Davies. A voice in the present wakes eternity and mass, Liz thought to herself. She smiled as she watched Patrick. Davies is not only living up to the riddle, but he has sweetened it with honey to my Henry's bones. I say, what a comfort to have the wisdom and friendship of a man like Samuel Davies to help you with your recuperation. Aye, probably helped him feel better, too. Uh, right. Uh, so, Liz, uh, don't you have something you'd like to share with us today? Some harrowing experience that... You mentioned Samuel Davies, and I happen to know that he is part of Miss Jenny's topic for today's Jenny's Corner, and I just simply cannot wait to hear what Miss Jenny has to say. Well, neither can I, then. I say, I believe the old girl's stalling. Well, she can run, but she can't hide. Uh, so, uh, Miss Jenny, what can you tell us about this preacher lad, then? Well, let me ask you a couple of questions. Uh-oh. Are you familiar with the Black Robe Regiment? Uh, were they soldiers that wore black robes into battle? No, they weren't soldiers that wore black robes into battle. Ah. Uh. This was the clergy that really fired up their congregations for the cause of independence in the American Revolution. One was George Whitfield, and the other was Samuel Davies. Ah, yes. Now, that Whitfield fellow, according to your story, has been really stirring things up in the whole Henry household. And did he actually speak at Uncle Patrick's church? George Whitfield really did visit Hanover in October 1745, and he preached at Reverend Patrick Henry's St. Paul's Parish. Now, we don't know for sure, but it is more than likely that young Patrick Henry attended George Whitfield's sermon, and we don't know also which sermon that he gave that day. So I chose Method of Grace, which is one of his most favorite sermons. It was printed in pamphlet form. And I put the whole thing in there because I wanted you to see what these men said, how they preached, how they inspired their congregations. Now, this particular sermon was in 1745, so that was way before the American Revolution. But George Whitfield would go on to be one of those that would help rally this nation to independence. But in this particular sermon, I have him say the utterances of peace, peace, when there is no peace from Jeremiah that would go on to inspire Patrick Henry's liberty or death speech. So George Whitfield, big guy coming through Virginia during the Great Awakening Movement. And what about that Samuel Davies then, Miss Jenny? 
Samuel Davies was the pastor of Pole Green Church that Patrick Henry went to as a kid. So as I've mentioned before, there was a war for religious freedom roaring under Patrick Henry's roof. His father, John, attended his brother's church, St. Paul's Parish, with the Reverend Patrick Henry. And Sarah, Patrick's mother, attended Paul Green. So, you know, a lot of things going on here that influenced uh, young Patrick Henry about how important the right to worship freely really is. Now, Samuel Davies not only was a wonderful orator for delivering sermons, Patrick Henry said that Samuel Davies taught him what an orator should be, and he studied him. He would listen to his sermons, and he remembered so much that Patrick Henry's mom actually had Patrick recite sermons on the way home. So I have several scenes here with Samuel Davies. Some of them are fictionalized. We know that he interacted with the family, but did he really give Patrick Henry the flute when he broke his collarbone? No, (laughs) but I thought it would be a really nice touch to do that. And then you're going to see some scenes when Patrick grows up and the influence of this wonderful member of the Black Robe Regiment, Samuel Davies, and how he impacted young Patrick Henry. Well, thank you, Miss Jenny, and well done, I say. Fascinating stuff, what? Aye, and, and speaking of fascinating stories, you just won't let this go, will you? <laughs> Not on your life, my pet. Uh, so stop stalling and regale us with your most harrowing injury story. Well, gentlemen, keep in mind we felines are quite agile and athletic. Ah, uh, here, here we, we go. go. But there was one time I was outside... I had climbed a tree because, well, I can. I rub it in when the mean Doberman doggy from next door got loose and he had me trapped up in that tree. Thinking quickly, I noticed the gutter attached just below the roof of our cottage. It would take the longest leap of my life to reach it, but I had no choice. If I came down the tree, that brute of a dog would snap me like like a biscuit, biscuit. Uh, so to speak. So... I ventured out onto a smaller limb closer to the roof, but it was too weak, and it began to bend even under my delicate weight, and I could feel the hot breath of my relentless pursuer barking below me. I told myself, I must leap now, before the bow breaks, and Cradle will fall, and And down will come Kitty, Cradle and all. Do you want to hear this story or not? <laughs> so it is. I say, couldn't uh, resist. Uh, do continue. Uh, merci, Nigel. So, with all the strength I could muster, I jumped, and my front paws barely reached the front edge of the gutter as I hung there, and I had to summon my last ounce of strength, frantically kicking my back paws until they were able to snag the gutter and push me to safety onto the jagged stony shards of the roof shingles. Oh, my! Uh, uh, what injury did you sustain, my pet? Well, I... I... I broke a claw. You... you what? We, oui, I broke a claw. It was awful. That's it? You broke a claw? We. Oui. Oh, my nails looked hideous for weeks. Um, I... um, I say, oh, you poor dear. <laughs> right, Max? 
Uh, oh, oh, I it must have been terrifying. It is still distressing. <laughs> uh, I, I bet. <laughs> Cats, am I right? Indeed. Uh, well, I doubt Liz will recover any time soon from having to relive that horrifying experience. Uh, so, uh, announcer chap, it's still Denny. So it is. I say, a bit sensitive, what? I. <laughs> he's probably part cat. Indeed. Once again, the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And remember, you can download your very own copy of the audiobook, The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you can find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. And I'm Denny Brownlee. Thank you for listening, and join us next time on the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. Have a grandi! A biento, mes amis! Huzzah! And ta-ta! And always remember, you are loved and you are able.